glasses, slip in your pocket protector. It's time for the Nerd's Guide to Fantasy Football. Hayden Winks, you have been in the lab. You somehow stayed out of the lockers. So are you ready to unleash the best ball winning formula for the people? How you doing? I'm doing good. Those are 100% not your glasses, are they? (laughs) (laughs) Those are your your roommate's glasses, I can tell. these ones are like supposed to like protect your eyes from like yep. uh, staring at your laptop too much. I never wear them. Yep, that's what we're doing. Okay, get to serious business here. Five parts to today's show uh, with some subsections for each of the five parts. Again, to the Nerd's Guide to Fantasy Football. Uh, I'm going to act as you, the audience out there, to ask questions that you might be thinking. Um, but if you have any more, be sure to leave them down in the comments below. There's actually a comment on each of these topics, each of these five things in the description also. So... As always, don't wait until August or September to do your drafts. You can start right now on Underdog Fantasy. A lot of the information we're about to unleash upon you is very actionable to Best Ball Mania or to the puppies or any other drafts that you might be having. So as always, first deposit, we match it in your promo code the show, and it comes straight out of Hayden's pocket. Anything you want to touch on, say anything before we get going here. Um, just realized when we clip these out, people are going to think I'm dressed in uh, my hair. Dude looks like a nerd, even though they missed out the actual bit. So that would be great for me. Oh, let's do this. I'm excited for it. Very, very excited. And we start with how to draft zero running back. Hayden, just that alone might have forced 25% of our audience to leave. Please don't. Because uh, I actually think that this is a different spin and a different perspective on what many people hear about zero running back. And let's lead off by this. Um, the people who drafted zero running backs through seven rounds last year on underdog failed miserably. Why? So they had an 11% advance rate. The average advance rate is about 16.7%. And advance rate just means, did you make the playoffs in best ball? So it was a very bad, uh, strategy as on a whole last year but i think that there's some reasons why that's not going to be the case as much this year first off we have to look at just kind of what happened last year and what you see here is these second round running backs jonathan taylor austin eckler Najee harris joe mixon went bonkers last year and meanwhile these wide receivers uh we're talking about calvin ridley deandre hopkins aj brown a lot of these players missed some time here at the wide receiver position so of course it's going to be tough if all the wide receivers you were drafting on the zero wide receiver builds were going off, but that can easily flip flop this year. Uh, so I don't think that we should just take last year's data and say that zero RB will never work. The big reason why zero running back could work is because this middle bucket of players, this is your Cooper cups, your Debo Samuels. And every single year we get players. Uh, Jamar chase was another example last year in this running back dead zone. That's where all these wide receiver points come off. So the, the theory is, let's hammer the wide receiver position early. And then later in the draft, you get your James Connors, your Leonard Fournette's, you get that Alexander Madison spiked week later on to kind of make up for some of these points here. So that's like the theory on this last year. It did not work because Jonathan Taylor, Joe Mixon, Austin Eckler all went off. That doesn't necessarily mean that's going to be the case this year. Yeah. Makes sense. So far? Lot, yeah. A lot of those second round wide receivers and Calvin Ridley and a bunch of names that we mentioned did not do well. Uh, a few thoughts here. Um, one zero running back, many definitions to it. That is as frequently argued uh, as the definition, as is you know the actual practice of it. Um, for so often, it's been put into practice for managed leagues, and this is a distinction you and I make all the time. Um, I think part of the reason why it works so well in managed leagues is because one, the consistency factor is up there for wide receivers in terms of producing 
similar points each and every week, but also you want like a wealth of, you know, players at that position. So you can kind of rotate them based on matchups and who's doing well. Hayden, does some of that go out the window with, with best ball when we are picking, picking your optimal lineup for you, you know, and you talk about this in, in the column again, that's linked down below that if you are starting off with three, four, five wide receivers in your draft, why are you then drafting eight or nine at the position? Because then that is overexposing yourself to, you know, thinking that you are picking bad ones at the start or, or hedging almost. Yeah. So there's diminishing returns. If you drafted seven running backs or uh, seven wide receivers early in your draft, there's really no reason to go that eighth, ninth, 10th one, some data from four for four based off of best ball mania two last year, teams that had their uh, fifth wide receiver by round seven. So that's a lot of wide receivers. That doesn't have to be exactly zero RB, but five wide receivers in the first seven rounds is a lot of wide receivers. Yeah. Uh, on those teams, the teams that had the best advance rate were teams that stopped drafting at six or seven wide receivers. These teams had an advance rate of 21%, 20%. Uh, if you had eight wide receivers on these early wide receiver teams, they had an advance rate at 18. Now, a lot of players were drafting nine or 10 wide receivers despite going zero RB. And this is my argument. Those teams that drafted nine or 10, their advance rates dropped down to about 15%. That's how you get the below average teams uh, here. So I think that the, the biggest thing for uh, my more radicalized zero RB is bet on those wide receivers. Like, I think it's a totally fine strategy. Bet on five, six, get a good staple of wide receivers early on, but then bank on them hitting. And we're going to pull up uh, this team that finished with the most um, points in the regular season last year. And you're going to see when you hit on those good wide receivers, you're not using that seventh wide receiver very often, if at all. So I think that's the biggest mistake right now is that these teams that are drafting uh, too many wide receivers when they go zero RB actually bank on them. And you're going to need a lot more running back points if you actually are going uh zero RB. So you're going to have to get six. I think you can even go up to seven running backs, which is pretty rare, but I think you can get a seventh running back on these zero RB teams. You had an interesting line on there that said, well, if the team drafts Travis Kelsey, they're not going to draft another elite tight end. If a team drafts Josh Allen, they're not going to draft Patrick Mahomes. Um, it does happen with running back too, but why are we then doing that with, with wide receiver? And there's cases on both sides of it. And again, we're not here to argue about what is zero running back. What is not I really don't care. Yeah, correct. It's it's more just the idea of and especially when we're talking half point PPR best ball, how that is different than what we have been thinking about for the last 10 years. So just not it's so easy to draft wide receivers in those sections that you're talking about, even when you draft them early, because it feels like that they're the best picks. So totally agree. The last thing I'll just point out is just uh, this is another set of uh, data with looking at if uh, a team that drafted their second running back in the double digit round. So this team, it doesn't have to be a zero RB team, but maybe they had an anchor RB team. These teams, if they drafted a sixth or a seventh running back, their win rates are in that 18 to 20% range rather than the teams that only had four or five that's in the 15 down to or up to 18% range. So if you are punting a position, just load up on them more. It makes, it makes total sense. Like you said, it's, we these uh, zero RBers make fun of the robust RB teams because they're uh, they're investing too much into a bad position. Both win, both could win, and the the th same thing is if I'm if I'm a hero RB guy and you draft a nine wide receivers in the first right. twelve rounds, that's too much on your end too. So I think that's a little bit of uh, both ways here. And like you said, this is this is half PPR best ball in full PPR managed leagues. Throw all this data out the window. There's a lot more 
uh, nuance with that stuff. But on underdog, it's a little bit different. The most you can start is four wide receivers. The most you can start is three running backs. Not that big of a difference between the two. Okay. Anything else you want to talk about here with your running back before we move on to the next section? Um, no, there's just, uh, some interesting data points about a, a fourth tight end if you've punted the position Ooh. at all, but I'll leave that in the column. Okay. That's a buzzword. Zero running back. Let's not talk about, now talk about reaching. Reaching is something that you hear all the time when drafting. Um, Hayden, in your column, you say not to reach. Don't take players 10 plus spots above their ADP. Easy question. Why? So... ADP is pretty efficient. Now, you and I have this podcast where we talk about player takes, and I encourage player takes. The reason why we encourage player takes is we think that we can beat the market based off of our player types, and it doesn't have to be just the player, how good they are. It can just be like, we think this team's good, and that's going to make this player look good too. Now, with that said, is ADP is still the price that you're paying. And most picks, 84% of picks, are made within 12 spots of their ADP last year. So that's 12 spots before and 12 spots after most picks. And actually more than half of the picks happen within six spots on each side of the ADP. So there's really no reason to be drafting a player three rounds ahead. If you know that the price on that player is in the middle of the the 12th round, there's no reason to draft him in the eighth round. For example, if you were investing in the real estate market, you think, Hey, I think that this uh, real estate is going to keep going up, but you're paying 20% more than everyone else in the thing. Even if you are, are right about the real estate market going up, guess what? You're still not doing as well as the same person that's investing in real estate, but actually buying the homes at the same price. So that's my whole argument here. I don't think that you have to do this every single time, though. I'm not being a robot. You don't have to pick the highest player in your queue every single time because we still have to stack teams. And I really want to talk about this team that we're going to be pulling up. I, I'm hoping... Uh, you have some good rebuttals here, but I think that there's a little bit of nuance here, but in general, ADP is the price. So there's no point of paying $6 for a banana if a banana costs only $1. The, the public is good. You know, like the, the brain trust, the collective, the public at some point, like gets it right as we go along. Like, I'm sure that that is correlated to success in terms of ADP as you go. Now, Hayden, I would say not to, you know, pat myself on the back or think I'm better at this than other people. Um, I'm better at certain player takes than other people, you know, like I can identify when someone like Damian Harris or Kadarius Tony or AJ Green at certain different points of the draft, like our, our values. I guess one question that I have to you is the 10 point is, or 10 places is not rigid. Right. And it's also different. I think if you are, you know, picking at 12, Versus if you're picking at 120, right? Like, so I'm sure you're going to do a little bit more work as we go along this summer of like maybe a sliding scale of what qualifies as a quote unquote reach. Yes. And I I actually have some of the data. Give me one second to pull up here. Um, But you're right. There is like a, a different distribution early on in the draft. Players are always drafted right next to ADP. But later on in the double digit rounds, that scale kind of gets a little bit off. But the, the next part of this column uh, that I wanted to pull up is just looking at the odds a player is going to be available. And then I want to use the example from this team that scored a billion points last year because they reach on a couple players. Oh, but what this key is ones. big key key ones. But what this table is showing is the odds a player is going to be available based off of the ADP and the draft pick that you're going to have. And I'm going to pull up the example that I wrote about. And this is says, I drafted CeeDee Lamb in the 18th overall pick. 
I'm in the middle of round six now. I don't have my quarterback, and Dak Prescott is available. Dak Prescott's uh, ADP is at 84th overall. I'm currently picking at 66th overall. So if I draft them now, that's pretty early, multiple rounds ahead. My next pick in round seven is at 79th overall. So ADP, uh, Dak Prescott's ADP is 84th overall. The pick I'm thinking about drafting Dak Prescott 79th overall, that means I'd be drafting Dak Prescott five spots ahead of his ADP. So you go use this chart and say, I'm going to be drafting Dak Prescott five spots ahead, ahead of ADP. I can project about 72% of the time Dak Prescott's going to be available. So that's what this chart is doing. And then it also works on the other side. If like you're debating if you're going to try to draft Matthew Stafford, but his ADP is at 91st overall. My next pick's going to be at 95th overall. That's four spots after his ADP. Now there's only a 30% chance. So that's what this table is kind of showing you. And this kind of helps the calculus be like, all right, when do I actually need to reach on these players? Yeah. Uh, what are the odds that this player is actually, actually going to be available at my next pick? I also feel like reaching pops up more when you're on the turn, like when you're on the polar ends of drafts, because like, let's say you have the 12th pick, um, then it's going to take 23 selections till it gets back to you, you know? Yep. Um, so if you really want someone either to complete a stack or because you firmly believe that they're vastly undervalued, then I am more willing, especially in certain rounds, like just going through drafts right now, like round seven, round eight, sometimes are like all the players in round nine more than the ones that have ADPs in round seven, you know? Um, I'm just kind of asking questions that are mm -hmm. popping in to my head here. Um, do we want to look at this team that was incredible last season? Because so good. this was the number one team in scoring last year. And by the way, if you do that this year in Best Womania 3, you win a million dollars. Wild stuff. We're making three millionaires this year in Best Womania 3. I want to highlight a few names here. First, not a drastic reach, but one that 100% qualifies. Debo Samuel, 13 spots. Drafts him at 59. ADP of 72. Even getting Jonathan Taylor at the top where that was, ADP of 15, drafted him at 11. Again, that's not 10 spots, but condensed in the first round. That's four picks. But the two onion hangers, if we want to use the words, 44 spots ahead of ADP, Leonard Fournette. ADP of 130, drafted at 136. And the other one, Rob Gronkowski drafted at 62, so ADP good. of 144. Hayden, if we can reverse engineer these selections... No Tom Brady in this draft by this drafter, but they knew that certain parts of the Bucks, while everyone steamed up Chris Godwin and Mike Evans and maybe even Antonio Brown, there were pieces that were going to be underappreciated. And those two in Leonard Fournette and Rob Gronkowski made sure they exited with them. Again, 30, 40 spots in advance. You would say, no, don't do this. Why? Yeah, so... I mean, obviously, this team was bonkers. I'm not going to say that this team was bad by any means. But let's just use this uh, Leonard Fournette pick as an example here. Uh, actually, let's use the Gronk one because the Gronk one was so egregious. Uh, <laughs> uh, 62nd overall. If he drafted another player with an ADP in this range, maybe someone like T. Higgins or something like that, what are the odds that that this Gronk pick, that he would have been available because his ADP is at 144 Instead of this Devin Singletary pick, this Devin Singletary pick didn't do anything for this team. This team was already so stacked at running back, didn't matter. So if he would have just picked Gronk at 134 overall, that means he would have been 10 spots ahead of ADP. What are the odds that Gronk would have been available uh, on this team? 
87% chance that he would have been take or been available even like six rounds after. So that's kind of like the calculus that I'm making. I, I do want to make sure though, I'm not uh, like leaning too into this. There are times when we have to reach on players to complete stacks. And this team reached on three players, more than 10 spots over ADP, which is about 16% of their picks. That's still in the sweet spot. Like that's like, all good to me. And now I wouldn't do to that drastic. There's no reason to draft Gronk and Leonard Fournette that early, but it's okay to make some reaches like three times in the draft. If you want to draft somebody 15 spots ahead of ADP right. to complete that stack, I'm not pooing that. Have your fun. Make sure you complete your stacks. So the next column I want to talk about is talking exactly about that. I just don't think that you should be doing this all the time. Make it a sweet spot and make sure you're doing your reaching later on in the draft when the ADP doesn't matter as much. But for the most part, the best teams period are the teams that stay around ADP. If you are constantly reaching, your team is worse. If you are constantly hanging, I call them the ADP loiterers. If you are always around ADP, those are the best teams. So uh, have your player takes, just make sure you're getting reasonable prices. But in order to win, you have to be different, right? And to be different, sometimes you have to believe in yourself and your evaluations, not just from a player perspective, but from like a team perspective. And so doing this, I don't know, three times per draft like this person did. And in fact, the same drafter had the benefit of one ADP. I believe it was James Conner. They got them 13 spots after ADP, which turned out to be a massive selection for them as well. So it's not like they just only went above and drafted over ADP. They also got lucky in one occasion, too. And that was a huge benefit of them. So like it, it works in both directions, too, now. Yeah, 100%. The The unique team is the team like this team that James Conner sl slides all the way to 131st overall. Like That's how you get that unique team, you know? Like, the, the unique team doesn't mean you have to draft everyone early, you yeah. know? And we'll, we're going to talk about uniqueness in his own category. But for the most part, this team stuck stuck around ADP. They had like, yeah. those two massive swings, which I don't even know how that even happened, but he obviously knocked it out could, of the park. But most could of these those massive swings, like, if people were going to do massive swings... Could it be to offenses that you believe are going to be top three? Like you're not going to do it on the Jets per se. Yeah, but my whole point is like, why? Like if, if we can calculate the odds that this player is going to be available, like at the next round later, if there's a 98% chance that this player is just going to be available at my next pick, why take him this round? Hmm. Like that's like, that's the whole thing. And like, th this doesn't mean that you should have 16% uh, of everybody else. It doesn't mean you can't have player takes. I want people to have player takes, but like we like Alexander Madison. If I was doing like, full rankings by myself he'd be like an 85th overall player he's being drafted 121st overall is it better to have 98 percent alexander madison but every single time i'm drafting in the seventh round or is it better to have 30 percent alexander madison but every single time i draft Alex alexander madison it's in the 11th round you know like that's yeah. kind of the calculus we're going for uh final question on this topic of should you reach is this mainly geared towards people that are playing a whole bunch of underdog fantasy brandon you know nick rudman liz log off here for a second what if you only have one home draft or you're only going to do three drafts on underdog, which is impossible because if you do it once, you're going to do more. Are you more willing to reach in that one home league that you care most about? You know, because you want that player. You want Leonard Fournette and James Conner on your roster. You know, you have these super strong convictions and don't want to just have like, oh, I'll take one of these three wide receivers. And that means I'm going to end up with LaVisca Chenault on my team because he was the best at ADP. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So it definitely matters more when you're facing 
400,000 entrants in these tournaments. You know, if you're just in your buddy's league, you don't have to worry about the team that drafted James Conner 12 picks after ADP. You know, if you drafted him a round early, you're not competing against a team that's drafting James Conner two rounds later. I want to reiterate this. Every single time that you draft a player 12 spots ahead of ADP, there's just as good as odds the next draft that somebody is drafting that same exact player that you like a round after their ADP. So like, that's a difference of like two full rounds. The same thing if you draft a player two full rounds ahead of ADP, there's just as good as odds that somebody's getting that same player two rounds after ADP. So, And when you're competing against these teams in the finals, if you're constantly doing this, all of a sudden you're going to be running into teams that look pretty similar to yours, except that they got uh, better prices all the way through the draft. So pick your battles. Uh, this matters way more in best ball tournaments when you're competing with literally everybody versus just like your 11 drunk idiot friends of, of all of your columns. This one means you're most likely to get your lunch money stolen. I'm just telling you like this Everyone is the me. nerdiest one of all of them, but go and check it out in the description down below. Okay. Next up, Hayden, big words, contingent base drafting. What the hell are you talking about here? This is a tough one again for me, but basically this is outlining how you can correlate your team. This is basically a stacking column, but there's other elements than just stacking here. And the reason why we need to stack our teams and why we need to reach on some players a little bit is because we need to be able to win in the playoffs. Last year, the teams that advanced from the regular season to the finals or uh, to just the best ball playoffs average 124 points. In week 15 to advance to the semifinals, these same teams needed to go from 124 points all the all the way up to 144 points. And then in the semifinals to get to the finals, these teams needed to have 156 points on average. And then in the finals, the top 25 teams needed to go all the way up to 168 points. And then the team that won it had 202 points. So this is all about the playoffs is what you're all about the here. playoffs here. And this is yeah for best ball tournaments specifically. How are you going to get to 202 points? How are you going to even advance in the, uh, the quarterfinals at 144 points? If you're just picking one player from every team, you're just like luck boxing it. Like that's just not going to be how it works. You have to have some correlation here. Um, and the big thing is how much correlation from one team. Obviously, everyone's going to be saying stacking. But what I looked at last year was uh, these teams that did have spiked weeks, like they had 150 points in the playoffs. These were good ass teams. How often did they have teammates from the same team, like NFL teams in their starting lineup? Most of the time, it was one set of two players from the same team, a quarterback and a wide receiver on the same team. Occasionally, only 10% of the times, it was a quarterback and like two of his receivers, three teammates. But the, for the most part, it was just little mini correlations. Very rarely, in fact, 1% of the time, was it four players from the same team? And I want to make this clear. It is hard to have the nuts lineup if you have four players from the same exact team. Because, I, and let me guess, because they might not have done enough to get you to that next round of playoffs from the week before. Like, if you are so heavily stacked in favor of, you know, let's say four Buffalo Bills, they only put up 17 points as a team. In I don't know week sixteen, but then in week seventeen they put up forty nine as a team. Then you know obviously the, yeah. the correlation is going to be much much greater in that second week. But you might not get there because of it. Yeah, so that's a that's a small part of it too. The like, the other thing the other thing is how many touchdowns do teams score in a game? Like for for four players to all have good games from one right. team, how many times are they scoring an actual touchdown? The, Perfect example last year, and I'm so glad that this happened. In week 16, the Bengals 
went off. Joe Burrow had the fourth most passing yards in NFL history in any game ever, the fourth most. These teams, there was only four of them that still had uh, four Bengals from these teams. And on these teams, Joe Mixon had two touchdowns. Too. Like It wasn't just the passing game. Like This was the best game ever for fantasy that we could possibly have. And still, even in the sample, only 1% of teams had four players from the same team. So my strategy, and especially as like more teams go to the finals, you have to have a better and better lineup. You want two or three players from the same team. You don't want four. You don't want five. You don't want six. It's just basically impossible. Most teams right here. This is the, the two sets of data. Sweet spot. For. You want two or three players, a quarterback, a wide receiver and a tight end, just the quarterback and the tight end, maybe uh, a wide receiver and a tight end. Uh, but you don't want to go like six players from the same team. And you also don't want to do like the example this for this year would be uh, a bunch of chargers and like all of them are going early in the draft. Like it's hard for like Mike Williams, Austin Eckler and Keenan Allen to be good enough when you spent like top five round picks on all of them, like that means they have to be better than like the other fourth, the other third round picks. So it's just a little bit harder to do. Um, so I, I'm on team mini stacks, not like full blown. I'm grabbing six uh, Buffalo bills this year. I'm taking three of them. And again, this is mainly referring to the best ball mania three playoffs, which is looking at the data from best ball mania two. And you know, that drops off each and every week based on how many points you qualify and Hayden at the topless column. Again, you can find it in the description down below um, says how many points you need to average in those weeks in order to advance to the next one. But it all not going to change this year, but I wonder if some of these numbers might change a little bit because our final round this year is so much larger than last year's final round. Yeah. So that's it's that means you just have to have a better and better and better team, which means that probably that, um, just going back up uh, here, I listed like how the team sort like this Jalen Rager seven points on this like four person side. That's not good enough. The Jalen Guyton eight points. That's right. not going to be good off. Even like uh, Devontae Adams getting 13 points. If your first round pick is getting 13 points in the playoffs, good luck to you. So like these are the things where I think you want more of the mini stacks. Uh, the other way to add some correlation is obviously game stacks. And we're talking about week 17 in particular because that's where all the money is. There's some and this is kind of like the the sorry to cut you off. Yep. The DFSification of best ball in some situations yep. because oftentimes when you hear about DFS and it's it's well I'm going to have this triple stack or this double stack and then run it back with someone else from the other team because if my team's going to score a lot of points then someone on the other team is going to have to score a lot of points too. Yes, 100%. So that's that's what this column is looking at, how much correlation are coming from the game stack versus the team stack. Obviously, the team stack is more important. If your quarterback threw a touchdown to your wide receiver, you're getting all the points from that. Uh, if uh, the uh, wide receiver from the other team scores a touchdown, it will help you out a little bit, but not as much. Um, so this is just kind of a, a little overflow. I like the, the best would be like a quarterback, a running back, or a quarterback, a wide receiver, and a tight end from one team. And then one wide receiver from the other team, like that's kind of like the sweet spot, maybe two wide receivers from the other team and just keep building for those. So have a week 17 schedule, either memorize or out in front of you. You have to play for some of these stacks, but I do not want to overdo it. I don't want like five from one team, four from the other. There's just not enough touchdowns to go around um, in these. A couple more rapid fire things is just injury based. Obviously, if Jonathan Taylor misses time this year, that means that, uh, Naeem Hines is going to be on the field, but also the Colts are going to pass the ball more. So I, I'm in favor of a Matt Ryan, a Michael Pittman, and a Naeem Hines uh, little stack. If Jonathan Taylor misses time, all three of their projections will get a little bit better. And then the other example is uh, if you've drafted the wide receiver too, I'll say Adam Thielen as the example. Draft KJ Osborne. 
this team, what you're hoping for is if Justin Jefferson misses time, both Adam Thielen and KJ Osborne are going to be kind of correlated at their ceilings. In week 17, Justin Jefferson's shredding all the way through, but and he turns his ankle in week 16. He's out for week 17. All of a sudden, Adam Thielen, KJ Osborne, both kind of project pretty well. Okay. We've hit on zero running back. Should you reach whatever the hell contingent based draft? I'm just kidding. Hayden just outlined it. Um, before we get going on anything more, like and subscribe down below. Not just this week. And again, Thursday show is going to be about second year players, not the top ones that you all know and love, but we're going to dive into a bit deeper and some second year players that shocked us either positively or negatively and ones that we might be higher on than the public. Um, and the next week we start our ranking shows. Quarterbacks, running backs, wide receivers, and tight ends for the next four, the next two weeks. Uh, those will be fun. So be sure to subscribe down below. Clips forthcoming at the end and conclusion of each one. Okay. What do you think, real quick, what do you think is going to do more views? Contingent-based drafting or running back rankings? <laughs> I have my theories. Okay. Being unique, Hayden. Being unique, not just from a person-to-person -person standpoint, but in your drafting. This has been a buzzword. Um, I even used it, I think just a couple of minutes ago, talking about how in order to win, not just, you know, being the number one team in the regular season that you get in best Paul mania three is going to net you 1 million freaking dollars. But in order to win the whole damn thing, either in the puppies or best Paul mania three, quote unquote, unique has to happen. Tons of injuries here, uh, outline the pros and the cons of what being unique might bring to a team in their future. Well, I'm guessing most people that are doing uh, best ball drafts are familiar with DFS and getting unique. There is much easier because not every single player is being drafted hundred percent of the time in DFS. Those, those players are only drafted or rostered zero to 50% of the time. So if you just throw in two guys that are 2% rostered for that week, all of a sudden you have a unique team that is much harder to do in best ball. This chart is showing you how often players get drafted based on their ADP. And what happens is, Everybody in the first 15 rounds gets drafted 100% of the time. You know, like there's a couple uh, outliers here. This is like a, a, um, a J.K. Dobbins injury, a Travis Etienne injury, a Cam Akers injury. But everyone else gets drafted 100% of the time. Then you start getting to the uh, range where players aren't getting drafted 100% of the time. This is like, would you say that's like round 16, round 17, round yep. 18? Yep. Around like 170th overall is kind of where you go. Uh, drop down. Now, what I found interesting was, and I Hayden, thought, can I throw in a, a couple names from last yep. year that kind of fit that group, like Cordero Patterson, Eli Mitchell, Hunter Renfro, Dawson Knox, Dalton Schultz. Those are around 16 plus players, and they crushed it. Now, if we look towards the end, you know, when we had the J.K. Dobbins, Gus Edwards injury, Tyson Williams went from being undrafted in Best Ball Mania two to being on a bunch of teams. Um, but you know, probably around I don't know. 20%, maybe even less than that. I'm just throwing out a number out of my butt. Yep. Um, and that one didn't work out. So like, but those were all opportunities and shots of being unique. And again, the ones I've mentioned at the top paid off in a big way. So those, those names were the, the, also the names that I had written down there. They're the perfect examples. But what was so interesting to me is you think that a player that's getting drafted like 197th overall in these drafts, you're like, Oh, he's getting drafted most of the time. No, that's not the case. Like all those names that you just, draft uh that you mentioned Cordell Patterson his ADP was at 207 not 216 207 he was drafted only 5% of the time then we have like Elijah Mitchell he was drafted 5% of the time but his ADP was at 201 uh so this we don't have even have to get to this range where it's 216th overall players that are drafted at like uh 200th overall which is like right here 
are being drafted less than 40% of the time. Most of the time, they're being drafted around like 15, 20% of the time. So you don't even have to go like all the way to the deep end to find players that are uh, being relatively uh, undrafted. And I think what the, the interesting part here is like this, this shows how many points uh, uh, these players scored based on where their ADP was. If you look at the very end, like these 216 players, a lot of these players are like practice squad players. Like, you know, there's only so many starting positions in the NFL. If you like do like the calculations based off like uh, 11 personnel times 32 teams, there's like 190 like NFL starters. That's the sweet spot. Like there is like a legitimate drop off here. And I think that's, that's because like these players are like the wide receiver fives on teams. And I think if we just stick with the starters and like this 190 range, like those are good players and they're being, um, undrafted like like maybe they're being drafted like 20 30 percent of the time here i was just pulling up some players right now that are kind of going in that 200 plus range that we were kind of talking about in relation to um some of the names that were in that 25 to 20 percent like nico collins is at 201 right now devin duvernay are names that we keep talking about at at 203 but then in comparison to that you know it's keontae ingram at 209 remember like Thanks, Leone, the Brashad Perryman fiasco that happened last summer, too. Like these actually, I think late round picks in 16, 17, 18 are a bit more defined when that final week of drafting is because, you know, the rosters are set and the depth chart is kind of there's more information to it. Now, on the other hand, and this isn't what your column is about, but I want to bring it up. If you kind of are able to read between the lines, look at contracts, try to predict the future and have player takes you can get values in round 17 and 18 who then get drafted in round 13 and 14. And on some level, and this isn't scientific term, but you can have two 13th round selections like AJ Green last year or Kadarius Tony when they moved up, right? Versus where they were a few months later or a few months earlier. So it's, honestly, I have a lot of fun trying to pick out like the uniqueness of these later rounds, round 16 plus players. But as many that will, and probably fewer that you'll get right, you'll get more wrong. And that's just yeah. the nature of drafting in that area. 100%. And going off of that, the my favorite strategy to take advantage of this like undrafted player is not to go into the 216th in uh, ADP player. I'm not really concerned about them. I think one of my favorite thing to do is in basically not draft these like, uh, like 150, 50 160th overall players that are drafted every single time instead if you just go a little bit deeper into the draft all of a sudden these players are not getting drafted uh too often so like the nico collins like 190th overall there's like definitely some drafts where he's not being drafted does he project that much worse than the wide receiver that's being uh being drafted 165th overall not at all like look at this chart that's like a very flat chart so i think reaching uh, for that, like that 17th round player in like round 15 is actually the way to get pretty unique and not having to go like to the very deepest part of the player pool with that last pick. So I think the round 15 range is kind of where it gets more interesting, not necessarily like round 18. Okay. Late round picks is one way to get unique. Another one that you outline is pairing quarterbacks and tight ends, you know, onesie positions with the same bye weeks. So often, People get criticized for their drafts when both their quarterbacks have, you know, buys in round nine. If we can zoom out a little bit, Hayden, what if you are bypassing, you know, Trey Lance because he's the same bye week as the first quarterback that you took. And instead, later on, you take Carson Wentz as your second quarterback. Like, sure, you are 
possibly and most likely going to have scoring in that one bye week for your starter, but you have also then bypassed the opportunity to have potentially two top five, top six quarterbacks on your team too. So I think both arguments are right here. The the bye week makes me nervous, bros. The virgin, the bye week virgins, uh, they're like, hey, I'm going to lose 10, 18 points uh, because I have the same bye week uh, with my quarterbacks. And 16% of best ball leagues were decided by 10 or fewer points last year. So like my my advance rate's going to go down. But if these these quarterbacks are never paired together, what if like these this pairings, one goes off in week 15 and then one goes off in week 16, all of a sudden you have this like very unique team in the final. So last year I looked at Dak Prescott because he was part of the, there was one bye week, I think it was week seven, where like everybody was bye week together. Dak Prescott with Trevor Lawrence, Kirk Cousins, and Big Ben, those were all the quarterbacks that he shared a bye week. Uh, they were drafted together only like three, 3.6, 3.2% of the time. Meanwhile, Justin Fields, Baker Mayfield, Daniel Jones, who have a different bye week, but were being drafted just near these other quarterbacks, had a pairing of 6%. So you're getting more unique, but you are also losing some advance rate things. So really, in the end, I don't really care. If you want to be the bye week bro, go for it. If you don't, doesn't matter to me. You are getting more unique. You're not getting super unique, but you're getting more unique. You're punting off a little bit of your advance rate. I don't have the full answer here. I just think it kind of can go uh, either way. But I do think I have a better way to pair uh, quarterbacks for uniqueness. Do it. All right. Pairing quarterbacks and tight ends with very similar ADPs. And the theory behind this one is people don't like to double tap quarterbacks like round eight, round nine quarterback because like kind of yeah. gets them off balance. They want to be a like, quarterback. Oh, let me go back to my wide receivers and then I'll come back to quarterback. And then the other part is if I drafted a quarterback, let's say Russell Wilson, 73rd overall, somebody could just draft Justin Herbert. Who's being drafted 77th overall by the time I even get my next pick. But because that happens, these quarterbacks are very rarely paired together. Uh, Russell Wilson, Justin Herbert last year, uh, they were only paired together 3% of the time. Joe Burrow, Matthew Stafford, who were being picked 107th, 108th overall, they were getting paired together 4% of the time. Meanwhile, those Joe Burrow and those Russell Wilson teams, when they were getting paired with Tua and Justin Fields later on, that's back up to 6%. So what's good about this is if you could double tap these quarterbacks, you're not losing the, the bye week problem. You're not losing those 15 points. You're not losing any of the advancement. If you go Jalen Hurts, Tom Brady back-to-back and because they're right next to each other in ADP, all of a sudden you have a unique team and you're not uh, losing those bye weeks. Yeah, I remember multiple shows where, and I think it started off with the quarterback show, which again, we're going to start in the next two weeks. Um, there's always a sweet spot for a lot of positions. A lot of positions. And quarterback is no different. And again, we've highlighted in recent years how advantageous it is to you to attack those early round quarterbacks more so than it was in previous years. But in best ball formats, last year there was a section of time when I think Tom Brady was the quarterback 11 and Matthew Stafford was the quarterback 12. And it's because so many of those young, mobile, athletic, pocket passer pluses who you know have rushing points were being thrusted above these pocket passers only, these statues. And I just wanted to double tap, again, the term that you used, with Matthew Stafford and Tom Brady over and over and over again, you know, and that was perfect. And we're going to find ourselves in that exact same situation and multiple times this summer, because then you can have like that little focal point and just going through these drafts and especially different points you are in the polar ends of these, you know, drafts where we have an underdog. There's going to be rounds that you just hate taking players. Like the wide receivers don't feel right. The running backs don't feel right. Taking two quarterbacks in that area feels really, really good. Yep, I have a column uh, called Quarterbacks Are Undervalued. My 
the sweet spot's like round four to round 10. I like having two quarterbacks in that range um, already. All right. The other part of the uniqueness thing, and this was my favorite part of the entire column, is I titled this Getting Weird in Round 2. And Round 2 is super interesting because, they, like you, we mentioned earlier, the ADPs are pretty tight together. You're not going to see massive swings here. Um, and I pulled up Austin Eckler last year. Austin Eckler, his ADP last year was 12th overall. Um, he was always picked around the round one, two turn. He was sometimes 10th overall, sometimes 14th overall, but always in that bucket. If you looked at how often he was paired with players, it is all the players. I mean, Aaron Jones, Steph yep. Diggs, Nick Chubb, Calvin Ridley, all the players that were also being paired or drafted at the round one, two turn. Makes sense. Most people ADP. draft based off of the ADP here. Now, here's what gets interesting. These Austin Eckler teams, instead of drafting Nick Chubb, who had an ADP at 13th overall, if you drafted Najee Harris, who had an ADP of 18th overall, all of a sudden you're going from those pairings being uh, paired together 12% of the time down to 3% of the time. What were the, the projections last year going into last year versus Nick Chubb versus Najee Harris? They were basically a toss-up for who was going to be the better uh, pairing. But if you reach in the second round a little bit, you can get some unique teams. And on the flip side, if Tyreek Hill, who was drafted uh, eighth overall, if you can happen to get one of these sliding first-round players to pair him with, with Austin Eckler at 12th overall, that pairing was only happening 4% of the time. So there's some really weird things you can do in round two, especially at the turn, to kind of get some good pairings. Uh, the best, one of my favorite things to do is to go two players that are being drafted in the middle of round two. You know, like last year, Antonio Gibson, Joe Mixon, Najee Harris, their ADPs were 17th to 19th overall, those three players. If you at the round one, two turn went Joe Mixon, Najee Harris, those players were only paired together 1% of the time because okay. both of them were going in the second round. It's impossible to do that. So like that is like how you get a really unique team is by uh, uh, reaching a little bit in the second round to two players at the round one, two turn. Barely, a little reach, mini reach. So uniqueness. can we... <laughs> For the sake of uniqueness, can we give an example of this year? I have underdogs ADPs up right now. Let's like take, for example, we are, I don't know, at the 11th pick. Okay. So right now, 11th ADP is the Travis Kelsey, Devontae Adams of the world. So would you consider like what you're just saying? If Austin Eckler had that ADP last year, then his combination, let's take Devontae Adams and yep. then CD Lamb. Those would be connected a lot at picks 12 and 13 constantly. Yes. And especially zero wider or right. zero running back teams. But yes. So instead of that, maybe you do Devonte Adams and Mike Evans. Like, is that Bingo. a big enough jump? Because Chris Godwin's missing time. You think Mike Evans is just going to emerge as a top three wide receiver this year because he is Tom Brady's go-to player. 100%. That would go from about like 14% paired together to about 3% paired together. And right now, what are the odds Mike Evans has a better season than CD Lamb this year? It's close to 50-50, you know? So I think that's the way to do it. And going back just to Devontae Adams, the best thing that you can do for Devontae Adams is scroll up a little bit more. It'll happen very rarely, but if Austin Eckler falls to the 1-2 turn, even if you don't like Austin Eckler this year, you have to go Austin Eckler, Devontae Adams, because that pairing right there, if you get a round one player falling at all, that is super rare as well. So lots of ways to do it. You can also go like uh, scroll down a little bit more and just like for yep. like the last example, uh, DeAndre Swift, Aaron Jones at the one, two turn, you know, like that pairing, those players are not going to be paired together right. too often. Um, and if you can get them at the one, two turn, that's at least getting you a little bit unique here. Okay. There was another avenue of doing this too. And I think actually 
Overzet and Bimeford did it live on a draft and it got them into the top 20 in Best Ball Mania 2 finals last year. Okay. I think they had the 102 and they selected Devonte Adams. That's a little bit different in getting unique, but in their thought process, if I can go into the dark places of their you know, brains and souls. Uh, it was because it was to create a new and different combination of round one and two players. So like very rarely when Devonte Adams had like the eighth or ninth overall ADP, then that would be paired with the player who had the 23rd or 24th. So in taking him at two, then you, yep. you know, stack him with the, the 23rd overall player. Is, yep. What do you think about that viable strategy? Totally works. I think that's probably a plus EV move for these tournaments. Like these tournaments, right. you got to get a little bit unique here. And like reaching a couple round or a couple picks in the first rounds is not going to be that that big of a deal. I, I do want to make two quick caveats. Is this this strategy works better like right when tournaments are about to close or like in the puppy? Because like you know like where these ADPs are gonna go. Like Devontae Adams last year, like going Devontae Adams second overall when Devontae Adams the entire summer because we had the Aaron Rodgers holdout was in the second uh, middle of the second round all of right. a sudden that uniqueness team that you think you had was not very unique because of the ADP switching so there's one little caveat um, the other one is just with zero uh, RB what you notice is uh, now I'm looking at Steph Diggs team so there's like a very similar thing to Austin Eckler but what you notice here is the the, the players that uh, Steph Diggs was paired with they were all the wide receivers. Like this is yeah. all of a sudden Calvin Ridley, DeAndre, uh, DeAndre Hopkins, uh, Devontae Adams was paired together more often. Uh, these players were paired more often because there's so many more uh, zero RB bros in the lobby. So all of a sudden like this, like pretty uh, like uncommon strategy, there's only so many wide receivers to pick. So what happens, like all these pairings are actually paired pretty frequently. So um, there was like some other ways to get unique, like, uh, going wide receiver, wide receiver, and then two running backs because these zero wider or zero RB bros are never going to draft two running backs at the three four turn. That's how you get really unique. So there's there's really really think through these like round one, round two combinations, um, and I think that's going to be like a, the next kind of wave in these big best ball tournaments. Okay, four down, one more to go. Uh, this last column, as always, you can find it in the description down below. When to draft your quarterback? To we talked about this a little bit where there's sweet spots. And, you know, taking the quarterback nine and quarterback 10, if that feels good, do it. Um, so when should people draft their quarterback too? Because in some ways your draft is, can be defined by when you select that first quarterback. Um, if it's, you know, Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes at the top, if you're waiting and then hit the two pocket statues, if then you draft, you know, the Trey Lance and Justin Fields of the world, or if you wait way too long, because now people are more and more readily drafting quarterbacks. And then you go into your season with, I don't know, the Matt Ryan, Marcus Mariotas of the world, which is a death sentence. <laughs> yeah. So one thing I'm, I'm trying to do this offseason is last offseason, I kind of tackled like, hey, this is how best ball mania works like as a whole. This year, I'm going to do more case studies that are kind of like that Austin Eckler case study. I'm like, if you drafted the best player at the position, where do you want to draft the other positions around that? So what this column is looking at is the teams that had Josh Allen last year and then the teams that had Kyler Murray in 2020. Uh, both of them were drafted in like the round five-ish range. They both went off uh, at those picks and they were big time uh, spiked week players and they were just absolute smashes. Um, what happens uh, with these teams is I'm looking at which quarterback uh, they should be paired with. So for example, uh, Josh Allen, what, how many points did these teams average 
if they had Aaron Rodgers as their quarterback, uh, quarterback two, if they had Tua Tagovailoa as their quarterback two. And what I noticed here is that for the most part, it's you don't double tap both early quarterbacks. Like the Josh Allen teams were better off, not with uh, Justin Herbert, who was a seventh round pick, but actually with Matthew Stafford, who was worse than Justin Herbert last year, but he was going draft being drafted 10th overall. And the, the, the best pairings for Josh Allen last year, um, they were uh, removing the Teddy Bridgewater, which was like absolute small sample size noise stuff, uh, was Tom Brady in round nine, uh, Matthew Stafford in round 10, Kirk Cousins in round 13, uh, Carson Wentz in round 15. So it's kind Whoa. of, for the most part, yeah, that was that's probably some small sample Derek stuff. Carr. Yeah. For the most part, though, the earliest you should be drafting the second quarterback, if you drafted Josh Allen in the fifth round this year, like, for example, like Lamar Jackson, let's say Lamar Jackson, fifth round pick right now, he's the best fantasy quarterback this upcoming season. The quarterbacks you probably want to be pairing with him are like round eight, round nine, round 10, round 11 quarterbacks, not Lamar Jackson plus Kyler Murray. That's too much investment into the position. And the same thing was kind of shown in 2020 on these Kyler Murray teams. It was Kyler Kyler Murray plus uh, 12th round Aaron Rodgers. You know, it was uh, Josh Allen in round nine. So it's kind of like around five quarterback and around nine quarterback. Like that's kind of like the sweet spot we're talking about here or round eight, round nine quarterbacks, just not round four plus round five quarterbacks. Okay. Tangent, uh, pulling up this year's quarterback ADPs on underdog. I do this sometimes, go through this thought process. I'm sure the people out there have as well. Let me know in the comments down below. If I'm taking, let's use this example again. Tom Brady is the quarterback nine. Part of my brain's like, well, don't take the same type of quarterback. Maybe pair him with Trey Lance as quarterback 12. Someone who's going to get you rushing points. Is that a stupid idea? Like not taking the same similar skill sets or the same archetype of a player, especially at a onesie position. Yeah, I haven't really thought that through. Like, I think like the reason why you can possibly do that is maybe Trey Lance. I mean, points are points, so it might just be yeah. really stupid of me to say that. But I, I guarantee you people out there have done the same thing that I just did. Right, and but there there could be some something to that where the rushing quarterback's going to ball out early. He could get uh, injured, but then Tom Brady's never going to miss time, so he's going to help you out later on. Uh, like perfect example here is if you drafted, like say you had Mike Evans in round two, uh, you drafted Tom Brady as your quarterback one. The my favorite pairing with Tom Brady this year would be Dak Prescott at, at pick ten. Those two quarterbacks are not going to be picked together too often. Now, if you scroll up a little bit, I don't really want uh, Josh Allen. And Kyler Murray, that's probably too much invested into the position. Uh, but once you get to like that Joe Burrow range right there, going down to Dak Prescott, I think you can totally double dip in that range. You just don't want like two of the top five quarterbacks. Cool. Okay. Anything else on drafting your quarterback twos? How, anything you want to say about drafting three quarterbacks? <laughs> Not this podcast. <laughs> that, that's, that's the one I'm struggling with the most. Like there's data kind of on both sides of it. I don't know what to believe. Okay. Uh, a bunch of questions have been rolling in oh God. during the show. Uh, I know many of you have them after the show's live. So leave them down in the comments. I know Hayden's going to take a couple hours each day and answer all of them. Uh, we'll go back to the top. So this is kind of starting from the jump um, from power three. I think this is a really good question. So for example, and I think this was in relation Hayden to either zero running back or should you reach one of the two? So for example, you have five total best ball drafts. Should you reach? Would you diversify as much as possible while staying around ADP? 
Or would you make five similar drafts with your guys while also staying around ADP? No right answer here. No clear answer here. But it goes back to the question that I asked of, hey, this is max entering versus getting your guys and stretching your ADPs because you don't have a draft, you know, at all 12 different spots. Just draft the best team, period. Like, there's don't diversify. If it's that same player, if Alexander Madison dropped around after ADP in all five of these drafts, I wouldn't not draft Alexander Madison because you only have five teams, you know, like, you just draft the best teams. I don't care if you're drafting 150 or, or five. You should draft the, the best team you can based off the correlations and how the board fell to you in each one of those drafts. Like I, I have a column about diversification, and I basically said that if you're uh, diversifying, that means you're scared to compete. You should be drafting the players that you think are good. You should yeah. draft the teams that you think are good. You should do the structures that you think are good, and you shouldn't be scared to compete. You should just not have too much of one player because that means you're probably reaching on them. But I, I, I think this diversification thing is totally out of control that means you're not having any player takes and stuff i don't think that's how we should be looking at this there's like player archetypes there's team if you're grinding the 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 athletic columns and not going outside uh at all and, and your skin's pale that means you're probably better at, at adps i'm talking about my skin right now too uh if, if you are got a, a very fair uh skin because you haven't been going outside that means you're better uh at i'm right here because you're not going outside I'm, it, that's why people tune in look i got some sun yesterday um yeah, I'm I'm with you. Like I was, you know, this totally out on LaVisca Chenault last year. That worked out, you know? But if I had, you know, just diversified my portfolio, then I would have had 12% LaVisca Chenault because he was going in that area. No, I wanted all those players that was being and as much as I love Sky Moore, it might happen of where he's going right now. You know, the, the these things happen for sure. What's too much? 35% 30%? Just throw out a number. Mm, yeah, I'm not going to hold 40, you to it. 40%, somewhere like that. I mean, much. at that point, you're like drafting these players. But it's also, sca- it's a scale, right? Like 30% of the same player in round three is different than 30% of the same player in round 17. Right, but I don't want to put like a, if you, like, for example, Mike Evans, if Mike Evans is your Judy, like, all right, Chris Godwin's not supposed to to uh, play for the first six weeks. Mike Evans could have this outlier 16 touchdown season. And if you really, if you uh, rank Mike Evans 14th overall and his ADPs at 20th overall, have 30% Mike Evans. That's your dude. Go for it. Same thing with Jonathan Taylor. There's people that had Jonathan Taylor ranked seventh overall last year and his ADP was 13th overall. Should you just like only have uh, 20% Jonathan Taylor because he's a first round pick and like that's a little bit sketchy? No, screw it. If you think you're right, Draft that player 30% of the time in the first round, too. It doesn't really matter. Depot and Cooper Cup could have been that for two people last season. Okay. Uh, from our boy Lundar. Is it bad to have a bunch of mini week 17 stacks? That drop off from stacking one team to, quote unquote, two sets of two teammates is way steeper than I would have thought. 48% to 12%. No, you want as many mini week 17 stacks as you can possibly have. Like I want my two quarterbacks that I'm sticking with. I want them paired with two of his pass catchers. And I want a bunch of just two player stacks. I want a run, a running back that's playing against another wide receiver in the other, on the opposite team. I want as much correlation as possible. I just don't want like a five team stack. So I wouldn't worry about the two sets of two teammates. Like you just want as much correlation in week 17 as you possibly can and more mini correlations because that's how you get like the correlation at the ceiling outcomes. You know, there's only five touchdowns per game uh, at the most on a team. Like you can't have uh, five players, uh, all four of the wide receivers and the running back and the tight end. They're not scoring enough touchdowns. So I think more mini stacks and especially for week 17. Um, Okay. Last question from Taylor. So we can get out here in under an hour Would those points by ADP and position look different based on May, 2021 versus August, 2021 to answer your question, Taylor, while Hayden gets up his stuff. Um, 
this is why I think conversations on Best Ball Mania 3, an entire season, uh, summer long tournament, are very different than, again, your home league or puppies. I mean, puppies are so great because they're little ecosystems. They're, they're little sections of the summer calendar that drafts only last for about a week. And so the ADPs are what they are. And you don't have to worry about you know, injuries or whatever, changing ADPs drastically. They might, but it's a much shorter section of time versus an entire summer. Look, we got the Cam Akers news last year, which led to Daryl Henderson. We got the Gus Edwards, or excuse me, we got the J.K. Dobbins, which then led to Gus Edwards, and a week later it led to Tyson Williams. You know, so ADPs shift much more in those much larger contests, obviously. Yeah, the Best Ball Mania 3 thing breaks the brain because it does. I, I think I think that it would be a little bit different, but like... I think we kind of overthink these things a little bit too much. Like for the most part, there's only so many players that move all that much. And it's kind of random with injuries. Like it could be Cam Akers pops his Achilles. It also could have been CD lamb pops his Achilles too. So I think for the most part, uh, not really, but to answer his question, technically, yes, I just don't want to overthink it too much. Okay. Hayden, five great topics. Uh, I'm going to add a six and just say uh, draft good players. We'll have player takes. We're doing rankings. I'm I am the take uh, player takes guy. I don't I don't want to buy, uh, be diversifying. I'm scared to compete. We're gonna have player takes, and we're gonna have them be uh, pretty crazy. Next the next two the two weeks are just all player takes and be great. Starts Much on Thursday. Second year players again. You know all about the Jamar Chases, the you know Jalen Waddles of the world. We're gonna dive a little bit deeper than that. I can't wait to talk about a few of my favorites going later on. We definitely need to talk about Rashad Bateman and Travis Etienne and a few of these others. And that's followed in the next two weeks by the start of summer positional rankings. One show on quarterbacks, one on running back, one on wide receiver, and one tight end. So lock it in here to the Underdog Fantasy channel. We appreciate you podcast listeners. Appreciate all of you for telling a friend, liking, and subscribing. And if you want a little more on all this stuff, it's always there. Underdognetwork.com. Go and read from the nerd himself and let him out of the locker. Pull him out of the trash can. The man who's picked last on every kickball team during recess, Hayden Winks. This has been a joy. You know about the locker shoving because you were on the bad end of that. No, I very much rode the middle line. I was hanging out with the nerds and playing video games and watching movies with them, but then on sports teams with the other side. I was the floater. That's what I was. That doesn't Great. surprise you. All right, everyone. Stefan, Willis, Lundar, Chuck, Powers, all of you. Appreciate you. We will see you back on Thursday. Up the villa. Talk to you all soon. See you.